Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of This Week in Apple. I'm your host, John Aslan. Glad you could join me once again as uh, we move on to episode number 72 in the series. Uh, glad that you guys uh, continue to follow. I hear a lot from you on Facebook. You can also li- uh, get to me with uh, a voicemail if you'd like. If you uh, have the Anchor Podcast app loaded onto your phone, uh, just find the podcast favorite, that, and then you can send me uh, one-minute voicemails. I got one uh, just recently from Joe Santoro, and we'll I'll run that by you a little bit later on in the podcast. Got a good one, a good interview today. I'm going to talk to Bob Herzog, a longtime writer and editor. He wrote for Newsday just prior to his retirement last year, and uh, uh, Joe, uh, an Apple player from way back, began his uh, playing days back in 1963, and uh, uh, a really uh, interesting bio that he sent me, and I'm looking forward to talking with him and asking him a whole bunch of questions. So stick around for my interview with Bob. We'll be right back, right here on This Week in Apple. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Apple. I'm your host, John Aslan, and as promised, I want to uh, bring in my guest for this particular podcast. He has had a 46-year career as a sports writer, a sports writer and editor. The last 42 years of that, he was a writer for one of the top 10 largest daily papers in the country. That would be Newsday on the island of Long, Long Island, New York. Uh, he has since retired, retired last year. Uh, to spend more time with his three young grandchildren in Rhode Island. I commend him for that, if nothing else, because I have five grandchildren myself and to have them close by and to spend time with them is really uh, is all that matters at this point in my life. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome along with me, my guest today, Bob Herzog. Bob, how are you? Hi, Hi John. Thank you. Uh, great to be on. Great to be on. And uh, yes, fellow grandparents, we, we know what it's like. There's a lot of love to go around. <laughs> a lot of love. You need a little extra energy, too. So that extra cup of coffee in the morning always helps out. Yes, uh, my, my guys keep me uh, young at heart, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. You're exactly right. Well, Bob, uh, just the introduction alone, when I heard that you were interested in doing the podcast, um, I couldn't wait to talk to you. You sent me a bio, which... Uh, uh, probably uh, started me thinking of about 30 questions I want to ask you. I probably won't go that deep into it. But as I start out every interview with uh, with a first-time guest, I want to find out how you became uh, an Apple player, when it all started for you, and how you got introduced to the game. Yes, well, that's, that's a very fond memory for me because it involved my late dad. He, he had a great run, made it to 93. He's got about five years now. But when, when I was about... I'm going to say I was 12 because it, it involved the 61 season. So I saw an ad, and it had to be either Sport Magazine or Baseball Digest or whatever one of those had uh, an ad. And it, I still remember in big letters, you be the manager. Yeah. And then it was, um, then it was, you know, it was about Apple, and it was about this game. And, of course, in 1962, let's say about 1050 or 1075, and you would get the season before, which was the 61 Yankees. If you're of a certain age and you're a Yankee fan, that's a glorious season because of the home run race, Marison Mantle, 
and a, and a breezy victory in a, in the World Series. So, and I, I always believe that if you're, when you're 11, that's probably the height of your fandom. <laughs> you're right. going before the real world sets in and, 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 and the realities of, of junior high, high school peer pressure and everything else. So right. I feel like you're the purest, maybe most knowledgeable fan. Uh, when you're 11. So so then a year later, I say, oh, I can get the 61 Yankees and get this set. So I go to my dad, who is the, you know, the greatest guy going, uh, very generous, but also a very practical man. So he says, oh, Bobby, yeah, this is, this sounds good. Um, how much does it cost? And I said, $10.50. He goes, that's a lot of money considering Monopoly costs $3. <laughs> then. So I said, yeah, you're right. But, you know, you know me, I love baseball, it's great. He goes, oh, that's fine, let's go up to the toy store and uh, up to the department store and check it out in the stores. Uh, well, you see, Dad, it's, uh, they don't sell it in the stores. See, so you have to buy it blindly through the mail. And, you know, I'm looking at this brochure, and I had the brochure, and I had one card, and the whole thing. He said, I don't know, that's, that's an awful lot of money. I had two other brothers. He goes, you know, I'm, you know, on a whim, not your birthday, not Hanukkah, not a, not a holiday, <laughs> spend that much no, that's not going to look right for uh, your two brothers, and I, I think maybe we'll pass on it, and we'll, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. Mm -hmm. So, because of my dad, and I respected him and loved him so much, I said, okay, that's fine. But I was a little disappointed. Fine. But here's why the story got good. One year later, I had a paper out delivering, ultimately, Newsday, as it turned out. <laughs> right. On, on, a, on a bicycle, back then, it was an afternoon paper. You delivered the paper, you put a bag on your bike, in the paper and you drove around the neighborhood and uh so obviously that's a different time because papers there are no more afternoon papers hardly right. paper boys know it's all grown-ups in trucks dropping it off at six in the morning mm. so i got a paper out i had my paper out for a, a few months and uh you know was keeping records of the money giving a little bit to mom as per dad's um request that give mom a little allowance and all of for all that she did in those days, my mom didn't work. My mom didn't work much in those days. Right. So out of the clear blue, he says, hey, Bob, you remember that game you wanted last year? I don't remember. It had a funny name, but remember you wanted to buy it, and I said it was a little too expensive? I said, yeah, sure, after baseball. He says, yeah, well, now that you have a paper route, and you're making your own money, and you have a little bit ahead, and you're doing all your responsibility, you're sharing with your mother, you're sharing with your brothers, if you want to buy that game, it's fine. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, you learned a lesson about spending your own money on something and, you know, with no guarantee. So I said, oh, that's great, Dad, thanks. So I did buy the game, but it was now, it was a year later, so I got the 62 season instead. Now, mm. that was another world championship season for the Yankees, sure. and it was a good set. There were good teams. It was the first uh, Mets, first uh, year yeah. of the Mets. So right. Mets in that regard, and the mm -hmm. second year of overall experience, expansion. So it's a fun set to have, and... Mantle's card wasn't as good. The Yankees weren't quite as good, but they were still a good, fun team. Pretty much the same player, just one or two differences. So I got it in, uh, you know, I guess I was 13. I got the 62 season, and I, I played the heck out of it. And I, I never um, never really had the money or wanted to make the commitment to get the new cards each year. And plus, the next year, 14, I, I got it to ninth grade, and then I was on the school teams. And life got busier. Yeah. And so I didn't play it as much. Uh, but I, I played the heck out of it for two or three years. I had one friend that, that did play half a baseball with me and then another friend in the neighborhood that had half a football, I think also the 62 season, 62 and 63. We played that a lot head to head. But much of my career was, uh, was solitaire. And, uh, you know, I thought this was the greatest thing. I almost thought it was like my little secret and a few other people knew about it and, <laughs> 
didn't have a sense of what kind of a gaming community was out there. Right. But uh, that got me started. Then I, you know, as I told you in my note and for the for your listeners, you know, fits and spurts at different times in my in my life. But uh, you know, uh, I always kept tabs. I followed it and wound up journalistically writing about both APA and Stratomatic because Stratomatic is on Long Island and the owner became a source and then later a friend. And so I had a great interest in the hobby, watching it evolve with the challenges of the computer games and the computer world and, and fantasy sports. And now I'm, I'm back to, to having some time, not as much as I first thought, to, uh, to play some uh, great teams and some uh, Hall of Fame games and some Yankee teams. Well, you are right. That is that is a great story. First of all, I just want to let you know we're going to have to edit out the Stratomatic talk. But anyway, uh, be, be <laughs> just kidding. Um, but you know, it's it was a it's a great life lesson. Your father saying, you know, you know, ten fifty. That's a lot of money. It's three times more expensive than Monopoly. Um, but then waiting till you had uh, made your own money and said, you know what, you're going to learn whether or not you can make good investments or bad investments. And, and I'll tell you, in today's world, those kind of lessons, they're few and far between uh, uh, the way uh, people parent today. And, and I think that's something that I'm sure has lasted with you all of your life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good lesson, a good memory. And then I wound up writing a little bit, of, a little short first-person thing when I did a story for Newsday about the tabletop gaming industry, APA and, shall we say, other uh, <laughs> games. Um, I did a little sidebar on that thing, and my father said, I totally forgot about that. That's great. That's yeah. great. I do remember it now. I totally forgot about that story. So yeah. that was cool, too. And and, and and your story, geez, it echoes so many that I uh, uh, of people that I talk to uh, on this podcast. Uh, you know, it's that... It's that little secret that probably only a few people know about. But uh, and of course, in the age of no social media, uh, you don't know until the Apple Journal came out. And then you start to get a little more information. Uh, and now with social media, it's all over Facebook and Twitter and and everywhere else you can find it. So a whole different world uh, for gamers, uh, including the Apple community uh, as well. I was I, I was kind of struck by when you said, you know, 61, a great year for the Yankees, and you kind of just blew right through the fact that uh, you won the World Series by five games over my Cincinnati Reds, by the way. Uh, I, 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 I'm glad you just kind of went over that quickly because it's kind of a painful moment. But uh, nonetheless, um, yeah, if just... You're, if, you're real, if you're a realistic fan um, that year, you probably, I mean, you can read all you want, but you probably didn't realistically expect you were going to win. And... Um, that World Series was was famous because Mantle was hurt. Yeah. He he, he uh, and he didn't play very much. No. And and the one and only Hector Lopez was the hero, hitting hero of that World Series. Neither Mantle nor even Maris had a great World Series, and it was Hector Lopez who years later I wound up interviewing. And um, and uh, because his son was a high school basketball coach on Long Island that I was covering, oh, and he was retired to Florida, visiting his son. I set up an interview, and, you know, we didn't talk Apple, but we talked about his career, and I remembered about 61, and he said, uh, yeah, he said that was redemption. I didn't have, I had some good years for the Yankees, but 61 wasn't one of them, and so I was, I think he had like seven RBIs in the five games, and he had a really good World Series, and so he said that became uh, a good moment for him, and uh, he, he gave either the 61 or 62 World Series ring to his son, the basketball coach, and he kept the other one, 
Um, the other years he was on the Yankees, they lost 60 and yeah. 63, and right. I don't know if he was there in 64. But So he had one yeah. and the son had the other. And that's how the story evolved because I'm interviewing his son at a basketball game and I see this ring. Now, they're not nearly as big no. as the rings today. <laughs> right. It was a little bigger than your college ring, but it's not, like, huge. But I noticed it, and it said NY Yankees. I had a distinctive NY in it. Mm-hmm. So I said, let me see that ring. I looked at it, and he says, uh, yeah, so I don't know which year it was, 61 or 62. And I said, wait a minute. His name was Darrell. Darrell Lopez, you can't be related to Hector. He goes, I'm related. It's my father. Wow. And I immediately started telling him about <laughs> his father, including his closed batting stance. Yeah. It was very unusual, which I can imitate. And <laughs> He said, I think you know more about my father in those years than I do. <laughs> and I'm sure you're right. I mean, the way we, as yeah. kids, like you said, you were 11 years old and, and, and you just uh, just try to digest everything you can about the sports that you're interested in. And it's interesting okay. he, because... He got on his cell phone right that day to, to you know, show you the time, time that we live in. He got on his cell phone that day and he called his father and he, he, he told him the whole story and he gave me the phone and I talked to him. And, his father knew uh, a couple of older Newsday columnists from the years that uh, sure. that, that he was covered, uh, that they covered him. It's a couple of Newsday columnists that were now retired, but that I knew very well mm-hmm. that covered him. And he was living on Long Island when he was a Yankee and his, and his son living in the same house that Hector lived during those years. So, uh, so we reconnected. We brought a photographer out to the house when he came back up from Florida to visit and had a great story. And uh, uh, so... Uh, you know that yeah. that's what it's a small world category. It, it, it really is. It's coincidentally, I, I'm doing the 1964 replay, and the last game I played, Lopez had two home runs to beat Kansas City. So it all comes to it all comes together. Um, and you're yeah. right, Hector Lopez in that 61 World Series, I think, either batted 460 or 500 and drove in eight runs in in that series that the Yankees won in five. But uh, you're right, uh, no Reds fan really had any kind of uh, uh, thoughts that we had a chance to beat the Yankees, even with uh, the great Mickey Mantle being uh, injured and not playing much. But, uh, but yeah, those years are great. You know, and you were talking about 11 years old. I remember becoming a, a big baseball fan when I was eight years old, and it just grew from there. And games like APA, which I really didn't discover until uh, the mid-'80s, uh, but I had played a couple of different uh, baseball board games. And, and then, like you, you know, went to high school and college, and then you just, you know, you don't have the time to do it. But, uh, but, but in your situation, you know, again, you went to high school, you went to college, and then you got into uh, sports writing. I- I'm fascinated with that because I love writing, and I, I just kind of want to know how you got involved and started in that business. Well, I was, um, I grew up in, in New York, in on Long Island, and, and so that back then there were a lot of newspapers. At one time, there were seven daily newspapers in New York. Mm-hmm. Then you had Long Island, you had Newsday, and the Long Island Press on Long Island. So there were many choices. And my dad used to get the uh, Daily News and the Journal American every Sunday, and then we got Newsday delivered during the week. They didn't have a Sunday paper. We got that home delivered. So uh, you know, all, growing up being a sports fan, devouring everything you could, and of course. Nothing like what we have today. No internet, no baseball reference, no no ESPN, no 24-7. You got whatever the games were on locally and maybe once in a while a game of the week. Right. So I, I couldn't get enough reading the paper. And I, I, I've often told people, I kind of think I learned to read a lot and, or certainly learned to want to read uh, with 
with uh, following sports in the paper. And mm -hmm. my very first responsibility in my life, I was five years old and I lived in a neighborhood and you could walk to the candy store in mm -hmm. a suburban neighborhood. And so my first responsibility was my dad would give me a nickel to walk to the candy store, buy the Daily News and walk home with it. <laughs> and then, so then maybe seven years old, I think seven years old was the first year I started following sports. So maybe six or seven in there, I started flipping to the back first mm, right. <laughs> and reading the headlines, reading the paper and getting interested and understanding sports a lot better and following batting averages. I learned to be good at math, following yeah. batting averages and all of that stuff. Right. And it just got me hooked. And so I, 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 I thought, wow, what a great thing, you know. Of course, I was going to be Mickey Mantle's replacement on the Yankees. Who was? But when that, when I outgrew that dream, um, the next best thing to me seemed like um, being a sports writer. And um, you know, I was pretty good at writing. I liked it. I played ball through high school. I played freshman ball at Syracuse, and then I got, and then I got cut. And I was able, and I was at Syracuse, so it was a great school of journalism. And I had, you know, I just switched right over to, to devoting all of my energies to being on the school paper instead of. Dividing it a little bit, and and uh, the baseball coach um, became a friend. He, the one who cut me, asked me to be the student manager the first year I got cut because I, he knew I knew more about baseball than most of the guys. Mm -hmm. And he said, "You can be the statistician and travel with us and do all that." And he even let me coach first base when he coached third, and <laughs> even some games late in the year he let me coach third when wow. he trusted me. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then then I, the next year I became the sports editor of the school paper, which was a daily. The Syracuse had the daily on, so that was just too much work to also still be the manager for the baseball team, student manager, so I politely declined. But we stayed in touch over the years, and years later, at um, Syracuse made the Final Four in 86, the year they lost to Indiana, and, and I was covering, and I met him with a contingent of Syracuse people. I just potlucked, met him in the hotel lobby, mm -hmm. and he remembered me, which was great, because it was 14 years after school was out. Right. And uh, he said, I always want to ask you, young man, did you... Uh, if I didn't cut you from the team, would you would you have stayed with it, or would you have gone right into the the, the newspaper stuff? Yeah. And I said, well, the truth is, I probably would have tried to hang on to the dream a little bit longer. But realistically, <laughs> we both know I wasn't going to make a career out of playing baseball. I just would have probably would have wanted to play another year if I could have. But you know, it just worked out that I could slide into something that'll you know you know yeah. allow me to my my passions for both you know sports and. And writing, and, yeah. and um, you know, Syracuse was a good school to be able to do that, and and so it was, you know, my career path in a way was, I chose it, but it also chose me. And and you mentioned Syracuse, and of course, uh, you're exactly right. One of the, if not the top journalistic schools in the nation, along with Northwestern, even Ohio University, uh, very big schools. Did you pick Syracuse? Because of that, or obviously it was close to home. It's in the state of New York. But uh, did you have that writing as a maybe fallback to your baseball career with the Yankees in mind when you chose that college? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Um, you know, even that's a kind of cute little story. Back then, my high school, and uh, I lived on Long Island, so my high school process for everybody would process three applications for every student. The guidance office that mm -hmm. you, know, you can apply to three schools, and we'll take care of all the processing and getting you your letters of recommendation and all that. So, you know, for, partly for financial reasons and otherwise, I, try, I, I was going to sort of stay reasonably close to home. So I applied to schools 
within an hour of New York, of, of my home, including Columbia and NYU, who had good sure. journalism schools, and then right. a, a Stony Brook, which was on Long Island, sort of a state school, because it was a state school, right. and I could live home. So I, I processed the three. I kind of was leaning toward NYU, and it seemed like a pretty lively place, so I could live on live in the city, but not be very far from home. And then uh, a, a month or so after the deadline, when when we processed them, all my guidance counselors said, hey, Bob, you know, you're so interested in sports writing. I totally forgot, you know, you have, you have the school of Syracuse that you've probably heard of. They're, they're really good. They're better than Columbia and NYU for what you want to do. Yeah. I'll throw together one more application for you as a favor. Hmm. So that was very nice of him. Yeah. And, and Syracuse offered me a partial um, scholarship. So that that helped because it was a private school and it would have cost, you know, it was cost, cost more. And now, of course, a ridiculous amount. Oh, but, crazy, um, and and so I, I wound up getting a partial scholarship, and and I maintained it and got it increased slightly as I went to school there. But because of my guidance counsel looking out for me, uh, I wound up getting into to, to all the schools. But when it came time to pick, I picked Syracuse, uh, further away from home, and I was the oldest in the family, so I was the first one to go away. Mm-hmm. But um, it was definitely the right decision. Definitely. <laughs> Now, how did you uh, uh, get on to, to Newsday, or did you start? Uh, I, I think you started at, at, at another papers, and then you uh, eventually got on to Newsday, where you spent uh, 42 years. Yeah, the first four years I bounced around. My first job out of Syracuse was in Buffalo, and, um, you know, that was, uh, I stayed there maybe six months. And the only funny story out of Buffalo, my first job, which wasn't a bad size for your first job, mm. it's pretty good, but, um, I was covering high school sports as most kids do when they start out. And then the girls, the Buffalo Bills writer's wife was delivering a baby the first week of the playoffs and they were going to cover a nearby playoff game, even though the Bills didn't make the playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. They actually went nine and five and it was OJ's first good year, but yeah. nine and five didn't get you in the playoffs in those days. Right. So that, uh, the, the sports center as a reward for me being sort of a, a bright prospect and having had a good year covering high school said, you know, there's a playoff game between Open and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a short flight away from Buffalo. I think we'll cover that one, uh, and then we'll see what happens after that, whether the, and the guy wound up coming back and he'll go on to the next round in the playoffs. But, you know, we'll, we'll send you down to Pittsburgh to cover that game. You know what game that was? The Immaculate Reception game. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. And that very first professional event I ever covered. So I wow. used to joke for years because I covered high schools, then I bounced over to a small, another smaller paper and another one as a sports editor. And then I went to Newsday as a copy editor. And so for years, I wasn't covering anything. And I used to joke, yeah, my first uh, gig was a, was a, was the immaculate reception game and it went downhill from there. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> it didn't, it just went sideways. I went into the editing side for, you know, for, you know, for reasons, uh, you know, family reasons. My uh-huh. wife didn't, wouldn't have liked me to travel when sure. I was younger and all that. But that was actually my very first game while I was working for a Buffalo paper. And then, um, you know, then I kind of got, um, got antsy, I guess. I, I wanted to, uh, uh, cover more than just high school. So a job opened in Trenton, New Jersey to cover a bunch of stuff. And, uh, that one didn't work out so well. And then I wound up as a sports editor at a small paper in Pennsylvania. And I loved it there. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed the editing part, writing headlines, working mm-hmm. with writers selecting photos, coming up with story ideas, the whole package. Yeah. And so at that paper, I did all of that, plus writing, because it was a small paper. And then uh, then I, then, then it got to be time. We thought about starting a family, and I knew I needed to get to a bigger paper just to, to, to get a better salary. Yeah. So I went to the New Star-Ledger, which was a big paper, and a year later, Newsday called. And I'd always had my eye on Newsday because 
My parents still lived sure. on Long Island then, and, yeah. and it was my home. I grew up there, and I knew it was a good paper. And, you know, it took me uh, four years out of college to get there. And once I was there, it was pretty much, uh, I didn't totally stop looking and had a couple of other opportunities, but I, I wound up staying there the, the remainder of my career. And no regrets at all. Yeah, so you come full circle. You, you, you go back to Long Island where you're now working for Newsday, and you, you covered it all. I mean, you covered professional, college, high school, World Series, Super Bowls, Final Fours. You, you mentioned all of that. Obviously, the immaculate reception, it, it was going to be hard to top, but if you can name maybe uh, two or three other really top uh, uh, games or uh, even even events that you covered over the years, what, what could you come up with? Well, good question. My students, uh, you know, I think I mentioned it, I teach, I teach a sports writing class here at the University of Rhode Island, mm-hmm. which is fun and rewarding and gets you back. The kids always ask me the same thing, so I, I, I have some answers. I mean, my, my favorite single event was I covered David Cohn's perfect game in 1999. Ah. Um, that was exciting because I was not the primary beat guy, I was what we call the backup, so I filled in so the big beat guy could have days off because the baseball beat is a true grind, and um, plus we usually sent two, three, sometimes four people to Yankee Stadium, or sometimes on the road and in the playoffs, even more than that, to cover the team, so, uh, and the news and the post and the time, same thing, there were always three people at every Yankee home game because they were good in that era, and at least two at the Mets. Mm-hmm. When they were both good, more, and like I said, won a couple of World Series, five, six, seven people. So our beat guy had just come off a long road trip, and he asked to be off, which was very common for that first weekend. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Expos, and quite often I filled in on those you know, on the weeks, weekends when the guys were, came back from road trips or because they would want to get a weekend home yeah. and be off and on home games where I would be, I had more time off because I wasn't traveling so I was used to getting those games and and that's what happened so I did the Friday game the Friday night game someone else did the Saturday game so I could have one weekend day off and I did the Sunday game and the Sunday afternoon game was Cone's perfect game and um, you know that was it was also a day game so that meant I didn't have to deal with the deadline you, you, you know the, the bane of journalists is deadlines and then if you have them when something really great happened and you don't get fully report them and you have to write it more hurriedly, and you don't get to talk to the players. So um, that was that. That's the single most exciting thing because the Yankees were good in '99, um, and it was a great story. And that particular game, Don Larson returned to Yankee Stadium. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Susan Waldman had helped uh, reconcile a feud between Yogi Berra and Steinbrenner, so Berra was there. Yeah. Um, so all of that happened, and then and then oh by the way, in the main event was turned out to be um, Larson's perfect game, and I, I, I was able to, I mean, uh, Cone's Cone. perfect game with Larson and Berra in the house. So it was kind of a Yankee moment. I was able to weave a lot of Yankee history into my game story that maybe somebody else might not have been, uh, you know, hip to. So right. that was my that was my favorite single, you know, single event. Um, my favorite uh, big picture, favorite thing to cover was the NCAA tournament. When you would cover in basketball, when you would cover it, if you start with the first round, go someplace and see all the oddball teams that get in, and maybe there'd be an upset, maybe there wouldn't, but some storylines that you know you have to do them quick because that team's going to get eliminated soon. Sure. And jump into those. Then you go the next week to someplace else in the country, and then and then and it concludes at some big spectacle with uh, fifty or sixty thousand people at the final four. So from 
start to finish those three or four weeks in March. Um, I would just say March Madness was, I loved it, but it was also described my wife's state of mind because, that's, <laughs> because I was gone for, for four straight, uh, you know, weekends or long weekends. It was usually like four days each of those weeks would be gone. And, but that was my favorite event, you know, to build up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that better than the, than the World Series just because of the deadlines and the Super Bowl because it was a lot of hype for one game. Yeah. And, and I also, I, I was never, I was always the sidebar, the extra guy in on the Super Bowl, and I did cover um, two, I guess. And uh, they did some good features during the week of, but mm-hmm. the game itself was not as satisfying journalistically. And as a fan, they're all great. But yeah. I would say the, the NCAA tournament culminating in the Final Four was great. And, and then, you know, the most rewarding stories I ever did were the ten, last 10 years covering high school sports, um, touching people's lives, um, telling stories about kids that maybe never going to get their name in the paper again. And, uh, you know, having done a lot of the other stuff, I had the perspective of saying, okay, I did all that. I had been there, done that career. Mm-hmm. So covering high schools at the end, didn't travel as much, became kind of well-known in my com- my community and, and, and Long Island and extremely rewarding. I love it. And I, I probably miss that more than I miss yeah. covering the big time stuff because those players come and go and you're just, you know, you, you get to know them a little bit, but not the same way in which you've got to know coaches, athletic directors, parents, and the kids. And uh, so, yeah, so there's three, three stages of my career, and it's, you know, I, I, I pro, college, high school, yeah. but I had, you know, affections for each of them for different reasons. Yeah, and, and, and high school is so pure. I mean, those kids are playing for the love of the game. Because uh, even when you get to college, there's uh, there, there's things involved as far as, uh, you know, maybe look into the future, maybe uh, becoming a draft pick. Uh, but in high school, like you said, a lot of those kids are never going to really have their names mentioned ever again. And, and they're doing it for the love. And uh, I, I, I've covered a little bit of high school sports and broadcast for it and also college. And you can just make so many friends and you get a lot closer with those people than you do at a professional level. Absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent. And uh, so, yeah, that, that part is, uh, that's why I feel thankful that I did, you know, I did a little of everything in my career and, and, and plus years editing. So between editing, writing and everything else, mm-hmm. probably why they, they hired me to be a teacher because to be a professor, because I, I do have a world of experience. <laughs> You've been around the block a few times, my friend. Now, one of the things I found interesting is that um, you've had a vote for the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame since 2008. Um, talk a little bit about how you got that vote and uh, how you kind of see the Hall of Fame today as opposed to the way it was maybe back when you were growing up as a kid. Yes, well, um, the, the uh, criterion for voting is you had to have 10 years on the beat. And uh, so in 08, it made 10 years that I had been on the beat, so I was able to you know, uh, you know, sign up and be and be recognized as a voter. And quick aside, I just lost my voting membership going forward because I've been out of it for more than ten years, mm-hmm. and I didn't get any coverage this year. Um, freelancing last year, I was out of it ten years, but Newsday hired me to do some freelance stories when the Yankees played the Red Sox up here near where I, not oh, far okay. from where I live. So mm-hmm. I did some freelance games, so I was able to maintain my. Uh, voting privileges uh, for one more year. Right now, that I temporarily don't have a vote for the for this current class, yeah. but I did vote last year. Um, and if I freelance again in the future, I get that back. I have a lifetime uh, 
same Baseball Rights Association of America card and member for life. Hmm. I just don't at the moment have voting privileges, but I did have them for, what, 11 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, and and actually, even though it's kind of a black and white reason why I no longer have it, and I totally agree and, uh, hmm. and respect the process, I was a good voter because I really took it serious. It started with my love of baseball. Yeah. You know, APA made me pay attention. I learned some of the history from APA, and I paid attention, and I, in many ways, some of these... Uh, you know, player, veteran players with younger writers that didn't even see some of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's 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 neither here nor there. But uh, yeah, I started voting in '08, and um, uh, the the process is is fascinating. And I do a lecture for it in my class. You know, they to show you how much it changed. So when when we first voted, when you're you're, you're a voter, they used to send you the ballot. Okay, everybody knows who's on the ballot, yeah. and they sent you a huge mailing which had stapled together. Um, uh, printouts of the qualifications for all the players who were on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it had stats, a paragraph or two of their awards and everything else. Meanwhile, even in, even in 08, that stuff was available on Baseball Reference and other websites, yeah. but the ba- Baseball Hall of Fame, and they sent you a self-addressed stamp envelope, if you remember what those are, yeah. to send your ballot back printed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so even as late as as recently as 2008, they were doing it that way, and it's really only until maybe five years ago that they went entirely uh, automated on sending you stuff. They just sent you a link yeah. to all the stuff on the Hall of Fame's website sure. and reminded you that baseball reference. I think they may have sent you a link to that for those that didn't know it right. and everything else, realizing you didn't need that stuff. You have so much at your fingertips. Yeah. Um, but still do the ballot the old-fashioned way. Uh, you still mail your ballot in. Yeah. They don't do the ballot electronically. They, they just feel, I guess, it's more secure not sure. to. Yeah. So the, the ballot is still, um, you know, you, you ch- a check mark in the box. Mm-hmm. The ones you want, uh, they limit you to 10. Um, and I am um, inclusionary rather than exclusionary. So I voted for 10 every year. And um, uh, and if you're going to ask me next, and I'll, I'll jump the gun on it about the uh, performance-enhancing drugs. You rather be right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's a big issue, and it's very interesting to hear my students talk about it. And um, uh, that uh, cluttered or clouded cluttered the ballot and clouded your judgment. And with many of them on the ballot and keeping some borderline candidates from getting votes, if you choose to include the PED guide, mm-hmm. me, I I do vote for um, worthy PED candidates. You know, people who I think should be on based on their achievements. Right. I'm, I'm a believer that there's, um, I, I don't condone any of it. It's definitely, um, you know, cheating of a sort, not the same as this electronic sign stealing that's going on, but, um, you know, uh, it was certainly, um, you know, an advantage, but there's too much gray area to me. I don't know who else was taking uh, PEDs when Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were taking them. I have no idea. I have no idea whether they were taking them for their entire career uh, we pretty much think that's not the case, that Bond started taking him when McGuire was taking sure. a home run record. I wanted to jump in on that. He was already, to me, a Hall of Fame caliber player as a 30-30 guy every year with the Pirates. So, right. you know, he you know he never had to take anything, and he would have been a Hall of Famer. Clemens the same way. He was a fantastic pitcher early in his career when he was a skinny guy with the Red Sox. Right. You know, he was still great with Toronto. Now, he may or may not have started to take any then. We don't know. He was, you know... 
good to great with the Yankees. Um, we don't know. To me, there's just too much gray area. And because I cherish and value the history of baseball, yeah. I feel like the Hall of Fame is supposed to depict the history of baseball. So to me, it's not um, representing baseball history accurately to not have you know, uh, immortal players in it, like Clemens and Bonds. And right. the next case to me will be A-Rod, because I consider him an immortal player. Right. I don't consider David Ortiz an immortal player, but I do consider him Hall of Fame worthy. But he may break, he may break through because he's a beloved figure. So he may break through before A-Rod comes on the ballot and A-Rod's sort of come full circle now. He seems to be, people seem to like him more now, but you know, that's a constant struggle. Clemens and Bonds are not as likable, but they, you know, they have fantastic careers. And so that, that clutters the ballot up because if you have, you know, if you're voting for Bonds or Clemens like I am and, and I would vote for A-Rod and then there were guys on the ballot like Sheffield whose numbers are worthy and Palmero is already off the ballot and McGuire and Sosa mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving out a couple. And, you know, you put those four or five on and you're only allowed to vote for ten. And so now the Allen Scrammels, he got squeezed out. You know, I'm glad he got in by the so-called Veterans Committee. But yeah. uh, Jack Morris, you know, borderline guys, I couldn't find room for him. Uh, yeah. Larry Walker is the current one. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's squeezed back on because there were... You know, I finally decided last last year or the year before that I was only going to vote for Clemens and Bonds among the PED guys because they were what I consider immortal sure. players. Yeah. And the borderline and the and the players like Sosa, like Sheffield, like McGuire, like Palmero, whomever else I'm forgetting that are that have Hall of Fame numbers but are not immortal players. I'm not going to vote for them because I want to be able to give Jeff Kent, Larry Walker. Uh, Jack Morris actually got in despite me voting sure. for him, so then he was off the ballot despite me not voting for him. And, and others who I can't think of, I mean, they're Billy Wagner, Ozzie Guillen. There are many borderline candidates that I want to give at least a, a thought to. So I was, they were automatically, they were getting bumped off every year. Right. So I, I streamlined my ballot a little bit. I still voted for 10, but I only voted for the, the, the two in the PED, and that right. allowed me to put eight of the others on it. And, if, if I have a ballot again, by the time A-Rod comes on, I would include him in, but the others, I, I, I might not. And that's a real challenge, and they, they've made it more transparent. You can check off a box. You want your ballot published or not. You have a choice not to. Oh, okay. I always voted. I always said yes. I didn't mind. And news they used to run, uh, we have about six, seven, seven or eight. I forget how many. I think we have maybe like, now it's less. I'm retired. Two other guys retired. We have a handful yeah. of, of people on the staff with their, with a vote, and so they used to run it, and it was a popular feature every year. They'd run a, our columnist would write a column on his ballot, and then they'd run a graphic with all yeah. the other news voters and who they voted for. And it was always mm-hmm. a good conversation piece. It always got a lot of hits on the internet, and uh, I, I didn't mind being transparent. And uh, you know, for all the people that I'm glad is in, I was a big booster of Edgar Martinez. Oh man, what a great hitter! Yeah, because he was a great hitter, and I know he was a DH. I, he, I don't care. But I he established, but but he almost established the DH role. And I mean, let's face it, it, it's one of the nine spots in the batting order. But a lot of people say, well, but if you're not playing the field, you're not really playing. But I think he really defined the designated hitter position. And I think to going forward, and even if, before he was elected, I think people were starting to come around to it. But he's the pure definition of the professional hitter and 
the DH role he basically uh, gave us up, uh, acceptance to. Yes, and I think it's just, it's just by the, the fortunes of the baseball gods that he wound up in the American League. He'd been in National League. My opinion, he was great, a great hitter, would have thrived in the National League, and they would have found a place for him, third base, first base, whatever, yeah. and would have, he'd have been fine. And, and I know there are purists who don't agree with me, but if you look back over history, there are players in the Hall of Fame that were terrible fielders, yeah. and they're in the Hall of Fame for their bat. Mm-hmm. Armand Killebrew comes to mind, sure. a no-brainer Hall of Famer, but he was bad at three positions, outfield, <laughs> first base, and third base. He couldn't field, yeah. but no one was mad at the Hall of Fame because he was a great, great home run hitter. I mean, right. he didn't have a hot batting average, but he was a legitimate slugger who belonged in the Hall of Fame, and, and that's just the first one that comes to mind. But if you look through, I mean, Ralph Kiner was a, you know, he was a, a bad fielder and a mm-hmm. great hitter. Yeah. Um, there, there have been others, and so you're being yeah. silly to keep so what's, so what's the difference, right? Yeah. My, because those guys were terrible fielders. You didn't vote them because they were complete players. You voted for them because right. they were great hitters. So, right. so a lot of one of them put a glove on and, and, uh, and, and one didn't. So uh, I was glad, but it did take Martinez to the end of his, his time right. on the ballot. And, and it used to be 15 years. Now they've changed it to 10 years. Yeah. So you know, uh, it, it's fascinating, and, and, and I enjoyed the debate. I enjoyed being a member. I took it seriously. And I enjoy the whole um, the discussions that surround the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it's unique because there are Hall of Fames in the other major sports. And there's never, never. Well, not never, there's rarely any debate and any big thing. You don't see people publishing the ballots for the NBA. Mm. No, and yeah. NFL, I'm a big NFL fan. I, I'm friends with the many NFL guys. But the NFL, they vote for seven every year. And there's so many players, there's 22 starters and plus sure. special teams on a team, that whenever they announce the NFL ballot, it's like, well, yeah, he deserves it. There's never anything controversial <laughs> except that maybe more guys deserve to be in. And you just have to wait. Yeah. So if you aren't, you have to wait a little while. And there's guys that have to wait, um, but you know they're going to get in. It just wasn't any room. Right. I don't think there's anybody in the NFL, in the Football Hall of Fame, that doesn't belong. But in the Baseball Hall of Fame, I mean, you could get a whole debate going. You could do another whole show that there's nothing about happening in it on just that. But like Bill Mazeroski, give me a break. Okay, he broke my heart. That's not enough to get, that's not enough to get in the Hall of Fame. Admit it, and Bob, you're bitter. Huh? Admit it, Bob, you're bitter. And, and he got in on the Veterans Committee. And to me, yeah. if you've been on the ballot and when Mazeroski was allowed to be on, yeah. you had 15 years that you could be on the ballot. And he never got more than like 5% of the vote. Right. And then... A committee later votes him in, and just to show you that it's not just an anti-Mazeroski thing, because I did a great story with him years later um, when the Yankees played the Pirates for the first time since the Mazeroski mm-hmm. home run in an interleague game. So we did a flashback. It was a great story. I loved doing it. In fact, I posted it on the Apple website on one of the because there's a Pirate fan that, that posted something about Mads, and I posted the link to that story. Um, but like Thorazudo, I mean, he's beloved. If you grew up a Yankee fan of my age, you loved him as an announcer. He was retired by the time I started following. But Thorazudo doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, and neither does Pee Wee Reese. But once Reese got in with the Veterans Committee, he had to put Rizzuto in. They were kind of like the same, you know, glue to a team that was sort of, you know, one was a dynasty and one almost was a dynasty. They just kept losing to the Yankees, but they were almost as good. Right. And so, you know, they got in. 
Well, you you hit you hit it exactly on the head. I mean, there there's every year that the new Hall of Fame, and, and I wouldn't say every year, but most years, you're going to get arguments, and not only not so much about the guys that got voted in, but sometimes the guys that didn't get voted in. Yeah. I mean, if you had to take two players that are not in the Hall of Fame that you think should be in a Hall of Fame, who would they be? Well, one of them is Steve Garvey. I, I don't understand why he's not in. I mean, he just didn't quite do it long enough. Yeah. Um, then and then it would be then it would be uh, you know uh, some people are saying you know Trammell's in so maybe Lou Whitaker. Mm, you know, yeah, like they were tandem. Pretty close. They're tied together. Yeah. Second baseman yeah. with power. Um, but but these you know the, the Boston people uh, presenting the case of Dwight Evans. Yeah, he he he's pretty good and he overcame head injuries and uh, you know finished his career strong. Um, you know, maybe if Billy Buckner didn't make that famous error, he might have been get, get consideration. Um, you know, it changed. Like, there's the no-brainers. And I, I always tell people when they laugh, I say, I loved having a vote. But the truth is, you really need my vote to say, to tell people <laughs> that uh, Ken Griffey Jr. belonged in the Hall of Fame or right. Marianne Rivera. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, you know that that's the part that any fan, and I'll say any fan could, could say that. Yeah. It's all the others that you have to do your research on. You have to have seen them in some cases, talk to them, and, and it's it's inexact, and that's kind of exciting. That makes it sort of interesting. Um, and even when you have a no-brainer like Mariano, engendered a tremendous amount of debate because he was the first to be unanimous. Mm-hmm. Well, the debate was, well, I mean, there was the, the famous guy up in Worcester, Mass., who said he was not going to send his ballot in because he wasn't, he didn't want to vote for Mariano because he didn't feel that he should have been the first one to be unanimous. But he also didn't want to be, you know, Mariano was a good guy, an exemplary yeah. citizen as far, and also a good player. But he didn't want to say he didn't want to penalize him. So if he was going to be unanimous from everybody else, he would just not vote. If you don't vote, you don't lose your card. If you put a write in or you, you know, do something against the rules, write in Pete Rose, whose name's not on the ballot or something like that, you'd lose your voting privilege. He didn't want to do that, so he just said, I'm not going to send in my ballot this year, which is his privilege. But then, after he wrote that column, which got a tremendous, um, a lot of a lot of attention, then he changed his mind and decided that he would vote for Rivera after all, even though he had the same feelings about he shouldn't have been first, but he can't undo what happened before that. And certainly, okay, you're, you and I are similar age, similar generation. It's mind-boggling to think that Hank Aaron Vicky Mantle, oh. Willie Mays, um, yeah. Frank Robinson, not, maybe not, Roberto Clemente. Yeah. I mean, not just, unanimous, from our, just from our time. And prior yeah. to that, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, <laughs> that they're not unanimous? Incredible. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Are you make... kidding me? So, so uh, you know, that's just that with some writers uh, who have votes, and, and, and I won't have one going forward. There's some writers who have votes that, to me, kind of abuse it. Who are you to say, well... Mariano should have been first, so I won't vote for him now. He transcended it because he was kind of a good guy, too. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Jeter because Jeter is up next year. He's a short fire Hall of Famer, and should he be unanimous or not, that's that's the question, not whether he should be a Hall of Famer or not. It used to be no one cared. You just got in. Just got in, right, right. You know, right. And, I, and, I, and to be fair, like Griffey is the more recent example. I mean, how could he not be unanimous prior to that? Tom Siva was the, had the highest vote. How could he not be unanimous? But they just, they just shrugged it off. I got in. Who cares? I got in on the first ballot. Who cares? So yeah. that's the good attitude. 
think. Yeah. And Rivera definitely would have taken it that way. And I think Jeter would too. But there may be a, there's, there's always a slight anti-New York bias, mm. anti-Yankee bias, which I think you should throw that out the window when you come to something as important as postseason awards or MVP, yeah. but or you know, or um, Hall of Fame. I'm not sure that everybody does. Yeah. Um, but Jeter is interesting because Jeter, you know, I'm you know I'm a Yankee fan. That's been established. I got to cover him for my 10 years he was there. I saw him and knew him. He's not an immortal player, okay? He's not an all-time great. Hmm. He's not like one of the top 50 players in the game. Um, you know, he's high up on the list of all-time great shortstops. Yeah. But not, you know, so if somebody wants to say he's not, you know, an immortal player and didn't want to vote him, all right, fine. But that's not really what, it, there's no, it's, it's either you're in or you're not in. Sure. There's not yeah. levels of, of, um, you know, some people say there should be a an elite wing on the Hall of Fame. If they start to delineate that, okay, then that gives you some uh, choice in the voting. But otherwise, you either think he's a Hall of Famer or, or you not. don't. Right. You reason. Right. Yeah. And and I, I don't want to make this entire interview about the Hall of Fame, but I'm fascinated by it. You mentioned the name, and I just got to hear your opinion. Pete Rose. Well, uh, you know, from the purely baseball sense, we all know he'd be a no-brainer. Yeah. On the other hand, I've been in Major League Baseball locker rooms. It is prominently displayed for the whole world to see every single day that betting on games is prohibited. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that he bet on games. And even if he bet on his team to win, it's it a- affected the game. Because I know that John Franco, who I got to know when he was on the Mets, he said that Rose used him three, four days in a row on games that he bet on. He, Franco was the Reds' best reliever, and so... Yeah. You know, you will, your decisions you make will be affected if you bet on the game. Right. You know, you maybe that are not necessarily in the best interest of the team or that player. Right. Going forward in a long season, is it better to, to use, is it better not to use your closer three days in a row? I mean, Tory tried not to use Mariano three days in a row except for the postseason. Yeah. Um, or rare instances maybe for a quick, a quick one. Um, so using John Franco and burning him out for, in those days they would get five out saves too, mm-hmm. not all just. Sure. Ninth inning. Okay. You know, and other lineup change, a guy needed a, a day off or maybe a guy was hurt and he just throw him out there. So his decisions that he made because he bet, you know, it, one thing it impacted the other. So that and the fact that he lied for 30 years. Right. I'm, right. I'm saying, I'm saying he, he does not belong in for that reason. However, he's not on the ballot. Sure. And I just told yeah. you. Can't write him in. Right. If they allowed in ballots, he probably would have been in already. Yeah. They don't allow it, and you would lose your vote. You'd be disqualified from voting in the future if you mm-hmm. wrote him in. So it's up to baseball. If they put him back on, he'll get in, and that's fine. Yeah. And I believe, I don't know this for sure, but I believe if he didn't lie to the Dowd Commission years ago, if he owned up in the beginning, we're a forgiving society. It might have taken a few years. It wouldn't have taken 30 years. He would have been forgiven. And he would be in. Well, uh, from a baseball standpoint, of course, he'd, he'd be in. Although I would say, again, not an all-time great player, but a definite Hall of Famer. Well, uh, Pete, as I've always said, was his own worst enemy. And I totally agree with you. If he had fessed up early on, the, the Major League Baseball, for, they're not going to want to denigrate a guy of his standing. But, I mean, he was a great ambassador for the game of baseball. Well, they would have... Yeah, they would have suspended him. They would have said you can't do anything in baseball. But but today he would have had a job in baseball. He would have been in the Hall of Fame. Um, it, it totally changed the trajectory of his life after that 
uh, Eva came down. And again, he only has himself to blame as far as that goes. I agree. And then even even um, even kind of opening up the autograph stands in, mm, in Vegas. Weekend, down <laughs> to sort of, in a way, give baseball the finger. Yeah. I'm here. I'm you know, yep. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like, there's ways he could have handled himself better. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, uh, I believe he would have long ago been forgiven and, and been in the Hall of Fame. And I bet you he would have now admit that. Siegel probably won't allow him to, but I think he yeah. would probably say that because he sort of got back in on the fringes that uh, Fox used him. And sure. They didn't this year. They sure. did use him, so he was kind of back in it a little bit. And, you know, it's 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 uh, it's unfortunate, but you're right. He was his worst enemy in that regard. Um, not as a player, though. As a player, he was play. You know, since you're from that area or yeah. you follow him, you know. I mean, yeah. classic guy that made himself a great player. Um, in fact, my my nickname in high school was uh, Captain Hustle. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so you Hustle. <laughs> Captain Hustle. I wasn't a great player, but I was I was was a hustler, and yeah. I you know I played the game kind of the right way. Well, he was. You know, he did it from day one, yeah. and uh, I, I think he was was fun to watch, and he made he made single sitters fashionable, yeah. and um, you know he was a winner. He was a leader. Uh, you look at the number of positions he played; that's all in his favor. He may not have been a Gold Glover in any of them, but he was average to better than average at all of them. He was not he was not an, an iron glove. He was not iron hands yeah. anywhere. Yeah. He, he was okay, okay to pretty good. At, at his position, some of them I would argue like he was a pretty good second baseman, and he made himself a pretty fair left fielder, and he didn't embarrass himself at any of his positions. No, no, uh, so to no. say that he played what four started at four different positions, and and, and uh, you know switch hitter and hustler and led teams to championships. No. I mean, he's he he sh- just he just shouldn't have lied. Come clean. You made yeah, a mistake. Okay. He was a proud. He, I mean, I I have a little bit of experience with Pete Rose. I worked for the Reds for for seven and a half years, and and really experienced him up close and personal. And he is as prideful as anybody that you'll ever want to meet, and just indignant about the fact that hey, I'm Pete Rose, and you know you should just overlook that because of all the things that I've done. And and it's just not the way it is. He did intimidate Mickey Rivers in the 76 World Series. But that's a whole other thing, Bob. I won't go yes, into it. Just like you realistically didn't think the 61 Reds could beat the 61 Yankees, I realistically didn't think the 76 Yankees had a chance yeah. against the Reds. Didn't think they were going to get swept, but no way did were we the better team, and yeah. no way did I think we were going to win. Yeah, the Reds, the Reds were a great <laughs> I team. Agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, let's round it out by getting back to Apple a little bit. Like you said, you're now retired, but you have three grandchildren, which I'm sure take up a lot of your time. Um, when you do play now, are you still playing back in the in in the uh, yesteryears, or because and and I yeah. know I think you said that uh, John uh, John Herson sent you a disc as you were card and dice guy, but he kind of got you into the uh, computer game as well. Yeah, he did send me a, a disc that had, uh, um, at the time he had, I don't know which version it is, 5.5.37, I don't know, you know, things <laughs> get revised. But, right. but the version I had had the 21 Yankees, the 61 Yankees, and the 2011, I mean, not the Yankees, 21 season, 61 season, 2011 season. So fortunately for me, it had the 61 season, so I, I finally got to, to play that season, but yeah. in, in computer, and obviously I get the appeal, but like... My my computer that had 
uh, a CD drive player built in is an old computer, doesn't work so well. Uh, and I have since I have an iPad and I have a Chromebook. They don't have yeah. uh, CDs, right. CD players, so it's tougher to play that. So I'm mostly a cards and dice guy, and I am, I am the um, the old time sets. Yeah. The uh, you know the, I've been I've been enjoying the World Series sets. I've stocked up on a few of them because you know I don't have the time to play a full season. So I love those seven game series. Uh, you know, fifty seven Yankee Braves, sixty Pirates Yankees. I just bought. 47, and I did buy 94 just because that's the season that never was. Strike you know, season, they didn't right? the mm-hmm. season. There was a terrific article in The Athletic that kind of sparked me by it. Uh, that's the website sports pages, and uh, they're very good, and they just did one, um, uh, the 25-year anniversary of the 94 season, and they interviewed as many of them as they could find about their disappointment in not getting to be able to play in the World Series. It was Mostly Yankees, but they grabbed some Expos, too, because sure. they actually had a better record than the Yankees, and those right. were the two best teams, and we don't know if they'd have made it, but let's say they did. Yeah. Um, and so it made me want to kind of, um, you know, re- replay that again. And my, my son was 17 in 94, and that was a big disappointment for him. He grew up a Yankee fan. I raised him right. And uh, we mostly, <laughs> we went to Yankee Stadium on his birthday every year, but he mostly saw bad teams or in the mid-80s, they had good hitting and terrible pitching. So the teams with Henderson and Winfield and Manningly yeah. were good, but not great teams. They didn't have enough pitching. So he never saw them win anything. And then 94, he's 17. A year later, he's going off to college. He thought we would sh- get to see a World Series together. We didn't. They didn't even get to play it. And 95, he goes off to college. He's a freshman, and they lose the heartbreaking series to Seattle in yeah. the playoffs. Right. And then finally, he's a sophomore in college. In 96, they finally won. And... Uh, we, we had a very memorable, joyous phone call. <laughs> a lot of cheering and screaming then that I was able to call him and share that moment with him. But I mean, he, you know, then kids who were a lot younger who grew up and, and, and they came of age in the 90s, the late 90s and mm-hmm. early 2000s, they think it's the Yankees' birthright to be in the sure. playoffs in the World Series. Kind of like me growing up. My first year following was 57. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I thought they were, and, and only two teams made it, and I just assumed it was Yankees would be in the World Series every <laughs> who, year. Who are the Yankees going to play at the end of the year? Right? <laughs> so, you know, time change. But I do like, yeah, I do like the DH, but I do like the older teams better. And yeah. sometimes I play the DH anyway from those older teams mm-hmm. to get a Johnny Blanchard in the lineup or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. And other times, other times I play it pure because those hitting pitchers are not so terrible. At least back oh, yeah. then. You knew that you were going to bat, so not all of them were terrible like they are now. It's, sure. To me, you know, it's another discussion. But to me, we've got to go to the universal DH. None of these pitchers can hit. It's pathetic, uh, and it's rare when someone can. So then they say, oh, well, look, Jason DeGrom at home run. Yeah, but he's so much in a minority. These guys, they can't oh, yeah. even bunt. It's pathetic. So yeah. you don't need to be watching that. That's not, that's not good baseball. I mean, people that think fans pay to see the double switch. Uh-uh. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't know if it'll happen or not. There is a lot of, uh, you know, there's more. There's a little bit of a groundswell now to get it done, but uh, there's still some people that like the fact that the two leagues are different and like the strategy of the National League and and and, and like that, uh, you know, the game is a little bit different. But I, I don't, I don't, and I think my biggest reason to get make it a universal DH or eliminate the DH altogether. My biggest reason is that. The showcase series, the World Series, yeah. is played different rules. That's just is not that that bothers me. That's the best 
they're playing night games so generations of kids don't get to see the World Series. Yeah, that's, but that's a shame. Play it like two different rules, that's just not right. You build your roster around a DH, and he, you have to put David Ortiz at first base or somebody else in, in, in the field for, for three games or four and not all of them. And, yeah. and then another roster has to use a guy that never played. I mean, you obviously remember Dan Dreesen oh, yeah. had to play mm-hmm. And he did well at it, but he didn't, wasn't that, they didn't have one then. So for the National League, and I don't know, I, I'd like to see it, I'd like to see the showcase series be played by the same rules instead of depending on which ballpark it's in. That, that bothers me for a, a sport that I love and I want to see it maintain its popularity going forward. And probably won't catch football now, but it's, uh, unless those concussions and head injuries, uh, ruin the game. But, yeah. um, that's a part yeah. of baseball. I, I don't like that inconsistency and, and two different rules in the World Series. That bothers me. Well, but see, that's the beauty of APA. When you play APA, you can do it however you want to. You can have the TH, you can have the non-DH, you can have a combination of both. Uh, but uh, and and that's and, and that's why I think a lot of people gravitate uh, to this game and that it plays so pure and that it plays like you're actually uh, uh, playing a baseball game or any of the sports that they that they offer. Um, and and this and the I agree with that, and I, I think we all kind of uh, everybody that that's a huge sports fan, you, me, many of people listening, we always kind of think that we maybe could do this managing thing, this general managing thing. So I think it's that 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 chance to kind of see how could I do if I was right. running this team, or just from the what if from a baseball standpoint. I mean, how would the '61 Yankees have done playing the '27 Yankees? I probably played those two teams against each other the most because. The 61 Yankees were the team of my youth, my favorite team. Yeah. And then the 27 Yankees are legendary. So I probably have played more games involving those two. And, um, you know, people that play up and know the 61 Yankees, they don't always do so well in those matchups because their pitching staff's not that deep. Right. And, right. uh, and they don't have high on base percentage at the top of the order. I love Kubek and Richardson growing up, but they are, they don't have the high, the high on base percentage at the top of the order. So, um, they're, they're vulnerable in these tournaments and things that, that Apple people play. And sure. other, yeah. other teams are actually better uh, because of that. But it's fun, those what-ifs. And I have most of the uh, – I think I have all of the uh, Yankee great teams of the past. And I missed, an, I missed opportunities to buy those great teams that have set when they were a little more reasonable. Now, if they're getting price, I'm not sure I want to pay $48 for, to get, uh, for each of those sets and then the – the, the more recent ones are even more than that. When I know if I'll play all the teams, so I yeah. kind of yeah, uh, yeah it, it, make, make judicious purchases even now when maybe I could afford it. But I just say, well, yeah, even if I can afford, am I going to really play all these? So I tend to jump into these. You know, I bought the Hall of Fame set. That's another whole discussion. Some issues with it, but I enjoyed the I enjoyed the concept, and I bought the franchise sets because it's just great seeing all those great players on each team. Yeah. Um, but Playing of that game is also a, uh, a tricky thing because because you know it's like you don't play with the master rules, which I don't. Um, there's like a lot of home runs that the great pitchers can't stop. Damn, uh, yeah. So it comes a home run. It, it's almost like the three true outcome game. It's home runs, strikeouts, and walks. <laughs> kind of like modern day baseball, right? Like modern day baseball, but it's like it's not it's not as many uh, of other things. Uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of fun to see them. I think. I think if it were me, you know, if I if I were the commissioner of uh, APA, I think I would remake those franchise sets. But instead of having it be a single great season, I would make it based on a career. So that means if you had 
Mickey Mantle, I use him, my, my guy. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the 56 season, where he's, that's, you know, 353 and all, his career is a 298 hitter. So now yeah. everybody is not like over the top great. They're, yeah. They're good. They're all yeah. good. But, and if you want to include Roger Maris, okay, but then his overall, it's not going to be a 3 1s card like 61. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a more, you know, and I guess that's what they tried to do with that Hall of Fame set, but it's a little too mysterious on, on what they based it on to normalize it. It's, uh, it's a little too, too, um, um, mysterious. As I said, you don't really know what his base was, and you see a lot of great players with yeah. C and D rings and average cards, and it sort of rubs you the wrong way, even though you get what he was trying to do, so that everybody yeah. wasn't all-time great like they were in the franchise set, but I just think it's like too much of a good thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I get it, and I think that's a fair assessment, and I think, I think John, uh, John Herson would, would, uh, would tend to listen to that argument, but, uh, uh, all I can tell you, Bob, is just keep rolling as much as you can. I know you got a lot going on, uh, but keep the game alive. Keep supporting uh, APA baseball and APA sports in general and APA game company uh, because really it is it is such a great sport and it really is it's touched your life, it's touched my life, and, and many many others. And I'll be honest, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for that. And uh, and I, I I so much was looking forward to talking to you. And, just for the reason why we've gone an, an entire hour. Um, and actually, it turned out better than I expected. Uh, you're a very interesting guy. I would love to have you on again, maybe t- discussing other topics. But uh, for the time being, thank you. Th- thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, really appreciate uh, uh, you coming on the program. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. And I follow, I'll follow your podcast. And I, I follow the uh, all those great game players out there on, on, on Facebook, those, those uh, social media posts. Um, from those various sites, it's amazing the level of uh, interest, passion that these guys and knowledge that that uh, you, you, your app audience has. It's a great thing, and it's, it's fun to be a part of. Well, check out my updates for my 1964 replay, and tell me what you think of my writing skills, because I really put a lot of effort into into doing those recaps, and it's so much fun for me to do and uh, to talk to a guy of of your ilk that's done it for so many years and was so. Uh, successful at it. It's really been an honor, Bob. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Happy holiday. And we'll talk again, I'm sure. You got it. Thanks again, Bob. That was Bob Herzog, who uh, spent uh, 46 years as a sports writer and editor, most notably for Newsday. I really, uh, uh, once again, want to thank him for taking the time, a very interesting conversation and uh, uh, went over an hour. That's one of the longest interviews that I've done, but it was worth every minute of it. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll have him back on the program again sometime soon. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have the wrap up to this uh, week's episode of This Week in Episode. Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, John, as far as your question for the uh, Hall of Fame, I would vote Tony Oliva, followed closely by Dick Allen, and also for programs, be it, like to see a show dedicated to hockey. I'm a big hockey fan, and I have about seven or eight seasons going, and I like to just hear what other people do, how they play, etc. Thanks, bye.
That was Joe Santoro who uh, sent in his voice message via the Anchor podcast app, uh, giving us his opinions. And Joe, yeah, we, I, I, I do. I want to get a little bit of hockey accident here. I mean, obviously, baseball is the, uh, uh, the big sport played by APA players, but they certainly play football, hockey, soccer. And so uh, we'll try to diversify as much as we can. But thanks for uh, sending that voicemail. And uh, all you others out there who have uh, the Anchor app on your phone and have favorited the podcast, you can also send me a voicemail about anything you want to uh, show content, your thoughts about shows that we've done and, and uh, suggestions uh, about things that we can do or answer to uh, some questions. And I've got uh, a question I'm going to send out there to the APA community. Uh, John Herson and I are planning on playing the first game via APAGO of the 2019 baseball card set. We're going to, he's, he's going to have it up and it's going to be on APAGO. We are going to just play two teams, but we'd like you guys in the APA community to let us know what teams you would like to see play in a single game just uh, to kick off uh, the 2019 set. Now, remember, this is on Apago, so don't get excited like uh, we're going to have cards in our hands or whatnot because that's not the case. But we are going to do a live podcast, and we may do it over uh, uh, Twitch or YouTube. We're going to try to get together with Jeremy Bueller to get him to set that up for us. Uh, but if you would like to uh, send your suggestion on what teams you would like to see play uh, in that game, we're going to eliminate both Houston and Washington because a lot of guys played that on Apago during the, the World Series as those teams came out. But any other teams that you want to see play, send that to me in a voicemail uh, uh, through the Anchor app or uh, send me uh, the information on Facebook. I'll put it up on the This Week in Apple Facebook site so you can uh, send your suggestions in. We'll tabulate it. And I think right now we're shooting for November 27th. Uh, to do that game. We'll do it live and it'll also be uh, uh, recorded as well so you can see it at a later date. Uh, So that's something you can do in in the meantime uh, while you're waiting for our next This Week in Apple podcast. There is one thing though uh, on a a sad and somewhat somber note uh, that I'd like to mention. Um, uh, We were trying to get Charlie Fouché and you uh, might remember Charlie. I interviewed him uh, 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 quite a few months ago, uh, and mostly about is Ken, uh, K-N-L-B-A, uh, which stands for the Keep Negro League Baseball Alive. He, he designs uh, uh, card sets for the Negro League teams of the past. Uh, had a great conversation with Charlie, but, uh, and I think a lot of you know that Charlie is, is, is very, very ill. He's battling cancer, uh, and really things are not going well for Charlie. I tried to get uh, an interview with him recently, but he just does not uh, uh, have the strength uh, uh, to be able to do that. He just contacted me a few days ago to, to let me know that. So uh, I just would like for everybody uh, in the APA community to keep Charlie in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, I only talked to him once, but you, you just get the sense of what a great guy he is. And he had such a passion for the KNLBA. Uh, uh, he is, he's really handed over uh, that ownership to Robert Weibel III. And I'm going to try to get Robert on uh, here within the next couple of weeks and, and let uh, him let us know how things are going uh, with uh, 
that project in the Ken, uh, KNLBA and uh, hopefully give us some updates on Charlie. But certainly keep Charlie in your thoughts and prayers. And Charlie, uh, Marantha to you, because uh, uh, we, we really would have loved to have you on, but uh, uh, we'll keep pulling for you, buddy. So stay strong. Uh, that'll wrap it up from here uh, on this week in APA. Once again, I want to thank Bob Herzog for being my guest and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll do it again very, very soon. Uh, again, download the Anchor app and favorite the show and you can become a part of the TWIA uh, fandom. And I hope you are fans of the show. Until next time, I'm John Aslan saying so long and thanks for listening to This Week in APA.